0: Chapter 7, For Whom the Bell Tolls Nothing to find on him, sir, the blackcoat said, pushing Herms Ulrich face down to the ground. The three officers had stripped the merchant of his clothes, blunderbuss, and the wooden ring his eldest born had carved him for luck. The blackcoats wore faded gray fatigues and uniformed ushankas embellished with small wooden buttons upon the crown, the Lord Prime's symbol and standard for equality. They were otherwise unremarkable, save for sparse chin hairs stranded with dull beads once worn by their Iridan ancestors. It did not matter that only one of them was actually an Iridan, and a mutt at that. I said this, Erms Ulrich repeated, shaking, curled up against the wall of his cell. I would not speak an untruth to your honors. Be that as it is, one of the men sighed. You fired a blunderbuss in the Commons. That is illegal and for that you have lost the privilege of truth. I know, I know, Ulrich said. But it was for a most good reason. And why should we believe you? A man who's cursed by bad luck and omens? You know, Ulrich began, wrapping thin arms around his shins. The skin at his knees was still dry and cracked from being forced upon them, day and night, by the pirates who had derailed his ventures months ago. Rough to the touch, it felt like rivets of stone in some places. Ulrich traced the spot, shaking his head. I can't be cursed. I was blessed with a sight, Ulrich said. He tried to look the officers in the face, but they were using a spotlight, comprised of a lantern's light and mirrors to keep him from seeing. Look at yourself, merchant, one of the blackcoats said. Look at your surroundings. You have no clothes, your women's weapon is gone and you smell of liquor. Your record shows you gift borrowed no less than three times from the Prime's holding. Each time, you were met with an ill fortune. Does this seem blessed? Ulrich rocked, a pit forming within the depths of his stomach. The accusations were all truths he knew, but almighty if it was not damning to hear it all at once. Sober up, the black coat sneered. Your punishment can be spoken about tomorrow. The three turned to leave, throwing him a bread crust that clattered upon the stone, more clay than sustenance. But I am blessed, more blessed than you, Ulrich moaned. What did you say? A blackcoat growled, reaching for the wood batons at his side. I am blessed, I found an ascendant. That's why I didn't run after firing my wife's gun. The three blackcoats looked at each other and back at Herms Ulrich regarding him as if they were seeing a new man. "'Do you think he's untruthing?' one of the men asked. "'I don't know,' another said, licking his lips in anticipation. "'But an Ascendant captured under our watch could be good, most good indeed. "'I think we judged too quickly. "'Perhaps we shouldn't have gagged him first. "'He should have his clothes returned and some better gifts, "'you know, to ease the talking. "'That would be most double-wise. "'I will fetch them.' one of them said, turning on his heel to retrieve Herms Ulrich's things. A black coat knelt beside Herms Ulrich, and he could now see the officer's face clearly. He was a Hasbian man with coppery eyes and a stern jaw. For your sake, I hope you are telling the truth, the man said, lightly slapping Ulrich on the face. Of course, honorable officers, Ulrich said, watching as the man left to join his companions. I would not untruth before the law or before the Lord Prime. Good boy, then. We will talk soon. Of course I am telling the truth. Desperate men do not go to the black coats without reason. Ulrich sighed before resting his head against the stone, bristling as the cold wind buzzed into the cell from slits above, which passed for a window. Naked, he shivered. Or was it a quiver? As he sadly ruminated on how this would affect his precious, dear Dirk Sorsha. In another life. In another life, my love. Dirk Oral swept Sorsha's protest aside, gently pushing his hand into hers. At first, Sorsha refused to allow her husband close, but she could see he meant it. Their fingers laced together, and Oral closed the door to their room. Her painting tools littered the ground, while a canvas bore angry strokes of red and orange. It was as if his dear Sorsha had asked the canvas to express fire itself, and so it did. If you think you can apologize just by waltzing in here and- Sorsha, Oral cut her off. You are right. If you think you can apologize just by saying I'm right again, then- You are right, my love. You are right a thousand times over. I was not willing to listen, Oral said. I, well, I, you mean that, don't you? Sorsha stuttered. Oral brushed a lock of hair from his darling's face, a sad smile crossing his face. I do. I forbade Ava from working in the shields at least until she is out from under this roof. Sorsha bristled and slowly allowed Oral to pull her close. Highest ones above. Oral thought as she fit perfectly into his arms. In some regards, the Prime has done good. What I ever did to deserve her, I may never know. Luck, simply luck to be matched by the Lord Prime to an angel. Is this true, my husband? Oral nodded. But why? Because your words made me reflect that perhaps I was forcing things onto Ava. Reflecting my desire as her own, it made me wonder if I was no better than Prime. Oral, you mustn't talk nonsense. The Prime is a monster, one who takes freedom for his own desires and names it as something else. You just want what is best for your daughter. Sorsha began unbuttoning his shirt. The material was itchy and abrasive, but warm. Oral let her unfasten the shirt and help slip it from his shoulders revealing a series of faint, glossy scars, wounds long healed from a time long past. What is best for our daughter isn't putting her in danger, however. Ava says she chooses it, but I think we both know at her age, there is a righteousness within that mingles with a desire to prove herself. Oral pulled away from Sorsha and sat on the edge of the creaky old bed and rubbed his arms. When she is of age and free to choose, I will be there to aid her as a father and friend. But, as you say, my dear, now is the time to just be her father. You're a good man, Sorcia said, as she climbed into the bed. And you are also stubborn. Oral smirked, but didn't refute her as he turned down the oil lamp, until the final threads of light finally gave way. How did she take it? Sorsha asked from the embrace of the shadows. How do you think? Sorsha hummed, pulling the covers around them and nestled into the heat of Oral's body. It's going to take the whole support of the shields to keep her off the streets, you know. I do. I will have Cirrus keep an eye out, just in case she decides to act on her own. In case? Sorsha scoffed. When, you mean? She is your daughter, after all. Which, speaking of Han Cyrus, don't you find it odd that he has no family name? Not really, Oral said, turning on his side to squint at her. He could only make out the dark shape of her body, a perfectly imperfect curve of blended greys and shade. Lots of people wish to forget their past. I do not begrudge a man who would. Now, do you want to hear something peculiar, my dear Sorsha? I love peculiar. Did you discover the answer to something during your contemplation? Or is it something to help inspire me for Compier Bert's upcoming gala? I still cannot figure out what scene or ideal to paint during the party. Sorsha puzzled. Well, if Herms Ulrich can be considered high culture, then I think he would do. Make sure to paint him in a blouse with a blunderbuss stuffed with your mother's silverware, though, Oral said with a snicker. Excuse me? Sorsha said. Did I miss something? A lot, actually. I'll leave out the part about being shot at and get to the strange ones. Our neighbor seems to think that Ava is an ascendant of all things. Can you believe that? He tried to bribe me for our silverware to keep the secret from the black coats. And what did you tell him? Sorsha interrupted. Her heart was racing, and Oral could feel it. I told him what any self-respecting man would. I told him to stick that blunderbuss up his own cheeks and do it. (laughs) Oral chuckled. So we can probably expect an unpleasant visit sometime soon. But I have already made arrangements to have any evidence of our work with the shields hidden. So there will be nothing to connect us. Well, that is assuming Herms Ulrich had the doughty to actually lie to the authorities. In a way, I feel bad for the man. When the truth comes out, it will be he who is most hurt. Still, Sorsha's heart raced, and Oral could not ignore it. He looked at her curiously. Hmm? What is that, Sorsha? You have to speak up. Sorsha was shaking, although Oral could not figure out why. He had to strain just to hear the forced whisper, which barely seemed able to escape his wife's mouth. It's true. Ava is an Ascendant. I saw it with my own eyes. Ava moved like a shadow through Hasbal's multitudes of twisting alleys and back streets. In her studies, other grand cities like Urquay were cleanly built with wide openings and grand central streets, but not Hasbal. The former City of Lights would have been better off named the Rat's Nest. Either way, It made moving through the commons without detection easy. Every once in a while, she would see a dark shape passing her. But usually it was small, one of the many orphans of the city. They pretended not to see each other, both assuming the other up to no good. Tightening her backpack, Ava slunk angrily along toward the wharves. How dare she talk father into telling me not to be a part of change? And how dare he bow to her? Aurel is supposed to be on my side. In what world is it considered right for me to be told how to think? Sorsha always thought she knew best, wanting the best for her daughter. But could they not see it from Ava's viewpoint? Of course they can't. I am just a stupid child. Maybe mother should consider what I want for my future child one day. Ava pulled her jacket closer and the flaps of her Ushanka down so that they dangled dangerously close to her shoulders a cloth wrapped around the edges of her face. Ahead, a cluster of crates blocked her exit onto the docks where the chum hall could still be found, pungently infecting the air around it with its foul stench. Vaulting over the boxes, Ava barely had time to duck into the cover of darkness before the glow of an oil lamp and two laughing black coats on patrol approached. They did not seem to notice her as they passed and continued in the opposite direction of where she needed to go herself. Though it did not stop her from gripping the hilt of her trusty knife. At least that would never betray her. The two guards rounded a corner following their well-established route amongst the southern wharves. Ava could just hear the men's boisterous voices long after they had disappeared. Skulking away in the opposite direction, Ava's gaze settled on a dark cluster of small fishing boats now clinking lazily against the docks at the sea's behest. Somewhere far off, there was an explosion that faded into a cluster of fizzes and crackles. Another followed, then another, and another. The clock tower bellowed on the hour behind the firecrackers, a bruising accompaniment. Ava looked back, but the overhang of the tannery factory obscured her view of the night sky. Despite this obscurement, she could still make out the faint aura of colors the explosions imprinted briefly on the clouds overhead. A flashing of lights caught Ava's eyes. The signal, all is clear. Looking both ways, Ava burst from the wharf's many shadows and onto the long dock, hastily moving toward the dozens of fishing boats moored at its end. Three waiting figures huddled up against a boat that once shone a proud white, but now presented more like a chipped hunk of junk, hauled from the depths itself. Peeling letters were now barely legible. Where the letters themselves had long fallen off, Ava could infer what used to be there based on the light imprints left in the wood. What once was, good boy, now read, god boy. Ava raised an eyebrow and looked at her companions. She only recognized two. Of all the boats we're taking, this is the one you picked, she asked. Seeing as you didn't bring oars and no one else did, it'd make the most sense to take the only one with a pair, Vern Bagata said, pointing into the boat. Indeed, within were a pair of basic oars that the owner must have forgotten to stow. Lucky for us, there's a few men left who have the jewels to forget their oars. Forget? Ava asked, raising an eyebrow so that they might beat the morning rush. Aye, my uncle Vanya was a fisherman. He did the same. You wouldn't believe how long it takes to check out oars in the morning, Sam Revian said, untying the cleat hitch. Less good it did him in the end, though. It wound him up at the end of a hangman's noose it did. He sounds like he was downright daft. What that look for, Vern Bogata protested. You know it's true. It isn't like they get any more fish for their troubles. It would be better if we all just didn't work and let the Lord Prime puzzle that out. And then we would all starve, Sam Revian said tartly. Will one of you give me a hand with this? Ava nodded, helping to steady the boat as they all clambered into it one at a time. There was a ripple and a bit of icy seawater splashed onto Ava as she took her seat. The water might have bothered others, but not Ava. She was Hasbian, and as such, she found refuge in the cold and damp climate of the high north. To her, such discomfort was like breathing. It told her she was alive. Next to her, Vern Bagata took up the oars, his corded muscles working to move the dinghy silently across the choppy waters. He was nearly a decade older than Ava, but he was unmarried and always raring for a fight. Sam Revian looked at her, twitching uncomfortably. He was a scholar's man like her father, but without even a quarter of Oral's openness. The third man's age was hard to discern, due to the deep hood and thick drooping mustache he wore. He smiled at Ava, but offered no words. He did, however, have the whitest eyes Ava had ever seen. There was not even the perceptible faint tracings of an iris. He was pure iridin. The muscle, Sam Revian said. Noticing Ava's stare, he's a recruit, and a damn good one. Remember the story of the terrorist attack the other day? This one is responsible for probably half the damage. I know he's a dwarf, but not many can shoot like him. He also has a habit of turning up when you least expect, Vern Bagata added. I see, Ava said slowly. Nice to meet you. I am Dirk Ava. What's your name? Ava reached a hand out toward the small man. But the dwarf did not take her hand. Rather, just looked at it curiously. Ah, uh, he's also mute, Revian said. And dumb, Bagata added. The perfect muscle. Point your fingers like a gun and he'll. You mean like this? Ava started, raising her hand to point at the waters. No, Revian lunged for Ava's hand and pulled it down. He's being serious. The boat shook violently as the dwarf jumped to his feet sending the rowboat into a fretful undulation. In the blink of an eye, the man had two pistols in hand, ready to fire. Revian began to shake his head violently, waving for the man to stop, which he eventually seemed to understand. Slowly, the dwarf holstered the weapons and slipped back into his seat, wrapping his coat alongside himself. Phew, that was close, Revian said, as they slowly crept across the misty waters. Could you three stop goofing around, Begata said. It's already hard enough to do this without splashing. I'd rather not fall into the waters too. The reesi will be at their most active this night with all the celebration, he said, referring to Pax Gnomus. As if to accent his point, another firework cracked overhead. This one lighting the city with a wave of golden trails before fading away. The Reci do not exist, Revian said. And if they did, don't you think they'd be smart enough to know if the Almighty was returning to finish his war with them? The Risi are beings who do not understand logic, my friend. Revian sighed and rolled his eyes, looking at Ava, who shrugged with a sniffle. My father says they don't exist, but mother believes in them, Ava said. Well, your father is a smart man, Revian nodded. What do you believe? If the Risi do exist, I do not think they would bother coming here, Ava said, after a moment's pause. Hasbol is not a place they would waste time fighting over anymore. Uh Aha, Bagada said. She believes. Actually, she said nothing of the sort, Revian shrugged. She dodged the question. Ava's fingers absently played with a scarf left aboard the god boy, and watched as they slowly began turning inward and back toward the wharf. The silhouetted lip of its edge rested a good five feet above where they would hide the boat in a nook, nestled just under an overhanging walkway. I think it doesn't matter, Ava said. But if the Risi do exist, it would mean that the Almighty exists. And I sure would like to ask him why he would let this happen to us. Ah, yes, the just God who claims in all things to be right, and to also be all things but is then confronted with the fallacies of evil's existence, Revian said. Or... Bagada said. Perhaps the good is in the choice. Either way, Ava said, still fiddling with the cloth. We have a choice now, to get this boat moored for the festival quietly or- Ava's words faded with the tugs of the wind. Ahead on the wharf's edge, more black coats leaned up against the stone railing. Their backs turned to them as they admired the fireworks that marked the coming celebration. There was a click as the dwarf pulled his pistols from the holster and carefully took aim. His irritant eyes fixed upon his companions, awaiting the signal to kill. There was a dispassionate lack of care about him that gave Ava chills. Revian raised a finger to his lips, and the dwarf seemed to understand. Where they needed to moor the boat, however, was directly under the officers, where a slim platform and stairs led up above. A large grate dumped a sickly rush of amber liquid into the harbor, and the waves sloshed about the boat, making it even harder to get close. Raising the oars slowly from the water, Bagata allowed the trajectory of his last push to silently carry the boat beneath and out of sight of the black coats. Ava did not realize she had been holding her breath, lacing her fingers through the cloth of her shirt faster and faster. It was only when they were under the safety of the nook, Ava allowed the cool air to touch her lungs once more. After carefully getting out of the boat, one at a time, they tethered it and sidled along the stone wall, the lip of the stone just enough of a ledge to allow passage to the grating. It was padlocked with a gated door just big enough to crawl through. This time, it was Bagada's turn to do something useful. Pulling a thin pin from the gracious folds of his hair, he set about working the lock until at last the gate popped open. Doing their best to ignore the fact that they had to crawl through sewage, although Ava wasn't certain the dwarf cared, they completed step one of their plans. Now, some would sneak oil back down and coat the dinghy, which, considering that the chum hall was just above, would not prove too difficult, and Ava would find gith Franz. But first things first, they would need to acquire something more fashionable for the men to wear, something trusted. Don't worry, Krebs, Ava whispered. You deserve a hero's funeral. It will be grand, I promise. Bagata looked back at her as he crawled ahead through the muck, nodding with a grin. If only my grandfather knew what we were about to do. I think he'd cuff me in the ear and then pour me a beer. Here, pass this back to the dwarf. Without looking, he tossed something toward Ava, who just barely caught it. A ribbon? She couldn't help but wonder, but she kept her questions to herself. She could have sworn what she had caught was denser and of a more substantial weight. Flagging the dwarf, she threw it back to him. Her arms and body tingled with excitement. Behind, there was a clatter of metal against stone. Ava glanced back once more, and could barely make out the dwarf staring at her. Frozen in place, he simply gaped at Ava, the whites of his eyes burrowing into hers. Come on, she motioned at the dwarf, a little unnerved by the intensity of him. Wherever the shields found that one, I hope there aren't too many more of him. Nah, he's unique, Revian said firmly. If there is an almighty, he would have to explain that mistake. There are no mistakes, my friend, Bagata interjected. Just reminders of his many lessons manifested. Now, come on, we don't have much time to reach the storehouse. I think that he's enough of a lesson on difference, Ava muttered, crawling through something warm and soft she dared not identify. Silently, they traveled the sewers, and the feeling of the mute's ghostly eyes boring into her only intensified she could not shake the way his undivided attention made her skin crawl or the way it made her want to be done with the night. Nor could she see that the cloth she had heaved to him had manifested back into the crowbar Bagada had originally thrown her. It was an elegant room, but not the nicest he had ever seen, although the view of Hasbal from it was stunning. He still hated himself for standing here, but what choice did he have? They will kill me, mother, father, and everyone associated with us if I don't comply. An image of Ava floundered to the surface of his mind's eye, and then his niece, and then. Franz shook his head, snapping the thread of guilt. A fire roared beside him, and Gith Franz could not help but notice amongst the finery, nearly all things were exquisitely crafted of timber. It was not a place meant for just any ascendant. Ahead, a tall figure's silhouette was framed by a massive fireplace. The fire in the hearth was so large, it should have been considered a bonfire. But here, it was the perfect size for a giant amongst men. Ascendant, you say? This, Githrans, is valuable enough to secure your family's safety indeed, the figure said. He possessed a voice that grated with a grandfatherly tenor as old as time. Can you promise her safety, Grand One? Franz bowed. I can guarantee no such thing. Only she can guarantee that. I can tell you care for her. So I give you this wisdom. Pray to the Almighty that she should make the right choice. Now go to her. Franz trembled, knowing just all too well the choices Ava might make. How could he make her see reason? I will have no choice but to do so. Sick to his stomach, he bowed once more and departed silently from the room. In the background, the clock tower tolled over the bursting fireworks. But as for Franz's concerns, The world might as well have been silent.